Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 113, Board Gamer Madness, final round. We'd like to thank our Patreon backer, Adrian Dong, for helping us bring this episode out to you. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And Anthony, we are back for the final round for our Board Gamers Madness 2017. How are you feeling about it? Woo, I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready. I'm Pumped ready. Up? My, my <laughs> games are gonna win, so yes. I'm very pumped. We shall see. We shall see. So, no, no, I already saw it. I know. It's good. <laughs> well, there could be a buzzer beater, you know, at the end. You never know. That meeple goes for it and just, you know, is able to pull off that last second roll. You know, could happen. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I have all the tiebreaker data, so just saying. I don't I, – I'm not saying I would misuse it. I'm just saying I have it and can use it as I see fit. Okay. Properly, right. of course. <laughs> Well, Donald Trump is president, so anything's possible these days. It's true. <laughs> so there you go. All right. So if you don't know what we're talking about, you really want to jump back to episode 112. We took the best games from 2016. We matched them up in a giant kind of, let's say, March S kind of bracket competition thing. And then we seeded them appropriately, according to Board Game Geek. And they've been fighting it out all along. And now we're down to our final 32. We'll bring it down to a sweet 16, the big four. And then the, the winner of the Board Gamers Anonymous, Board Game Madness 2017. Now, for many of you, you already have your brackets in. And Anthony's going to give us a little update about that and let you know what's going on with the podcast. Anthony? Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for uh, taking part in that. Um, we put this out to... All of our listeners and subscribers uh, on the newsletter. If you're not part of the newsletter and you didn't see this go out, that's where we announced it. So make sure you get on that newsletter. There's a, a chance to win 10 bucks every month just by being on it. Don't even have to open the emails. I will shoot you a separate email. Um, and uh, the board game group and our own Facebook group on Facebook. So if you're on any of those, you might have seen this and you might have filled out a bracket and you might still have a chance to win. And how that's going to work is because of a small technical issue with the way the bracket was set up, uh, we're going to run through the bracket the way it was delivered to you on Facebook. The person who gets closest to how we fill that out is going to win one of four games that are represented in the bracket. They get to choose which one they want and we'll ship that out to them. So it is closed now, unfortunately. So if you're listening to this now, it, don't don't go run into Facebook and try to find the bracket. It's it's gone. But we will have another contest very soon, I promise. So stay tuned. Keep track of that. We will announce the winner of this particular contest very soon, probably in the next. Uh, well, if you're listening to this, probably today or it already is up. So, and if you're the winner, you would have heard from us. The The bracket you're going to listen to today, this is the full bracket. This is using the input of our listeners and what they voted for. Uh, so you guys are going to help us break those ties between the two of us. And uh, it's going to hopefully get us down to, you know, the one representative game of 2016 that best matches its theme. So we're, I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? 
I'm ready to go. And as you said earlier, Anthony, if you'd like to get in on a lot of this action that's going on with Board Gamers Anonymous, be sure to check out all of our social media outlets, including Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, which has a ton of content every day. And be sure to check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. We could really use your ratings. The more ratings we get, the more we get board gaming goodness out to everybody. And especially, as we said earlier, our Patreon account. It helps us bring these episodes to you more frequently and bigger than ever before. So check all those things out because there's always new things popping up there. And uh, we want you to be a part of all of it. All right, with that said, let's get on to the episode. And now, our Acquisition Disorders. Acquisition Disorders? That's crazy! Only needs the base game, nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion, see? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion... Okay, so we've been talking about what upcoming games are something that might actually be coming up on future brackets. So let's talk about our acquisition disorders. Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? I have a brand new, really old game. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess the the wave of re-releases of old Euros is really just kicking into gear now. I know there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out here in the next few weeks. Loving it. Um, yep. You know, it's, hey, if if Vassal's going to be right about something, I'm, I'm happy it's this. Mm-hmm. The, the one... Okay, there's a few that I'm excited about. There's Stefan Feld's reprints, which are going to keep coming until they've all been reprinted. And then by the time we get to that point, we'll have to start over again because we'll <laughs> be out of print again. Sure. Um, so, you know, Notre Dame, I will certainly track down. I don't like In the Year of the Dragon, but might grab it because that's, you know, <laughs> when when are you going to get it otherwise? I'm going to pick up both, uh, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I probably will and I just won't play the one. But um, the the one I'm really excited about, though, and... I feel silly because this game hasn't been out of print for very long. I'm maybe a year. I probably could have grabbed it anytime I wanted when I got into the hobby. But after I had played it, I could not find it anywhere for less than a hundred bucks. So now I'm happy it's coming back out. And that's Lahav. Lahav is Uwe Rosenberg's water version of Agricola. I don't know. It's the best way to put it. It's you're working on a port, you're building buildings and you are basically just trading goods in for other goods and then trading those goods up for even more goods and then trading them up for even more goods and then feeding people because of course you're feeding people in a Rosenberg game. Uh, <laughs> it's it's very much an economic game. It's very much about your revenue stream and making sure you have a good flow. And it's very much the typical Rosenberg. If you make a mistake early, uh, good luck. But I do really like it. It's not quite as brutal as Agricola. Scores are a bit higher. It feels more like a puzzle to me than that. And there's not quite as much. I mean, there's still some randomness, but it's not quite as pronounced uh, as in that one. One of my favorite games from him. And, it's, you know, the solo version is definitely one that, you know, I want to give a swing through as well. The new version is coming with the expansion packed in the box, which is another thing I really like about all these reprints of old euros is that you can get the expansions that nobody could get because they printed like 50 of them, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so that's super exciting as well. Uh, so yeah, it's not new. They won't be on our bracket next year unless we do a, a Euro bracket, which now that I think about it, we should do a Euro bracket, <laughs> but it's definitely one I'm going to pick up as soon as it hits, whenever that is sometimes. Yeah. I know that all these reprints popping out is such a great thing, especially for new people who are getting into the gaming hobby And I know Agricola kind of got some mixed reaction because they re-released it and it was four players, which kind of threw people. 
And then there was a family version. That kind of threw people. And the original edition, you kind of got in everything. So I guess it's good that there's going to be a lot of different versions out there. So you can kind of pick which flavor you want or go back and get the original kind of flavor. But I don't know. It seems good all around. So No, I, I'm I'm super happy about it. And this is one, like, I have the app and I play it decent amount. It's not the greatest app because it's hard to see everything on the screen. But it's a good game. So I'm really looking forward to actually owning the cardboard <laughs> of it. Yeah, I've only seen this hit the table once in all the years of gaming. And I just think because it just doesn't play well with new players that mm, it generally yeah. doesn't get out to that meetup look, looking audience. Yeah, the first play is brutal, brutal, brutal. Like my first play, I, I lost so, so bad. And usually that's not a great sign. Like I'm like, oh, this sucks. But <laughs> um, every now and then you lose that bad. Like like Food Chain Magnet was like this too. And you're like, okay, that wasn't really fun. But I can't stop thinking about what I should have done differently. So now I have to play it again. And that's what this was. So, And then once I did, I was like, okay, much, much better because I know what I'm supposed to do now. Yeah, it's great. So that actually might hit more tables now that's brand, you know, rebrand new, I guess. So people will kind of pick it up just to drop it on the table and go, look what I just got instead of something like I dragged out of the closet. That's true. <laughs> and you can put the expansion out, which not a lot of people have. Um, I don't look forward to teaching it. So I'm hoping I can get groups of people who've already played. But if not, you know. It's cool. We'll we'll re <laughs> we'll train new people. So okay. Available for later. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So a game that I want to talk about my acquisition disorder is not Rising Sun because everyone knows about Rising Sun. So why do I need to talk about Rising Sun? Do we need to talk about Rising Sun? I know we're contractually obligated to talk about Rising Sun, but doesn't that cover it? It's Rising Sun, it's Eric Lang, it's Coolman, you're not. We're good, right, Anthony? Rising what? Yeah, I know, right? Nobody uh, heard of that. Eric hashtag what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the annual Eric Lang uh, Kickstarter barrage. Yes. So I feel bad for any of the, the games that were on Kickstarter when that hit. Ooh. I feel like they, they might have lost a handful of uh, backers. <laughs> to say the least, I think all your money now belongs to Eric Lang, who recently was announced to be their head designer. Is that correct? Yeah, head of game design. So he's, we're going to get a lot more miniatures out of Eric Lang. Not that we weren't anyways, but now there's even more coming. So what if you like, you hung them upside down, you shook them, they'd just be miniatures falling out for days. It's, they're probably in his hair, man. Just like... There you go. Yeah, so that's that's amazing. It's 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 an obvious and a brilliant choice by Coolman or not. And, you know, if I guess, I guess if you're on the Hong Kong stock exchange, their stock is going to rise because that's such a smart thing to do. But it's not just Eric Lang, but it's also their uh, was it their lead art designer now too. Yeah, so their head artist uh, is Adrian Smith, who also works with uh, Eric Lang. He did the art for Rising Sun, um, the others, and uh, Blood Rage. So all of the super big hits from Eric Lang in the last year and a half or so, um, those two worked on together, and it makes sense to bring them all on because they both do good work. So sure. Now that we've done our obligatory Eric Lang slash Kumani or not Kickstarter announcement, I actually want to talk about my acquisition disorder, which is something I just saw pop up on Facebook recently, and that's the palace of Mad King Ludwig. This is not the castles. This is the palace of Mad King Ludwig, which I had to look at it twice because I'm like, I think I already own this game. So what's going on here, man? <laughs> you, might, you might own it already. <laughs> it's Suburbia 3.0. Yeah. Like... 
and and it's since it's that type of tile laying kind of game and it's a castle theme i probably already own it in the future so if this is future chris you're gonna pick this up right you've already picked this up you got the pre-order right we're good we're good okay so let me know chris (laughs) (laughs) but beyond that so what we're looking at is and if you've seen the pictures online and on on board game geek we're looking at a more streamlined version of the castles where we're looking at the palace of Mad King Ludwig. And by that, what we're talking about, it's essentially it's a streamlined version of the game. And instead of all those wacky shapes and designs, what we're looking at is pretty much standard square tiles that you're going to build a castle together. So everyone who's playing the game is building that one single castle and they're placing the tiles in order to score points. So there's not going to be that auction mechanic any longer, no master builder any longer, and basically going to kind of like a Carcassonne mode where you're just building and based upon the placement of the tile, you're going to score points, which is kind of like suburbia-esque, Castles of Mad King Ludwig-esque uh, type of scoring. So depending on the room type, you get unique bonuses. You'll be able to pick up swan tokens that, you know, once again, probably count for your set collection, scoring you points. If you're able to match the entrance and exits, which are very similar to what we've come across before, you know, it's 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 a really good idea and it's a really good design. I probably would have liked to seen something a little more complex instead of something a little more simplified. But the idea of building this kind of communal castle is something that I'm really interested in. And uh, I think I actually might pick this one up as well. I really love all the Bezier games up to this point. Some more than others. Obviously, Suburbia is my favorite, but this looks like a, a, a good addition. Yeah, I'll be, I got to be honest. I was a little disappointed. It's just, I, I love Suburbia. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, as big a fan as of uh, Castles. And it's just kind of going down the same road and rehashing the same mechanics. Like, do something new or do something bigger and meatier. I don't know. I don't know what I would really want with that. But I understand why it's a Castles redo, not Suburbia redo. I know Castles does better for them. Uh, but, meh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I mean, sure I'll play it and I'm sure it's good. I'm just not excited, you know. Yeah, I I really like the theme, of course. Building a castle is a great idea. Uh, you know, I love the tableau tile placement kind of thing. So that really hits at home. And I did really enjoy Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Uh, but it was it was it was kind of light for me as well. I, I like the additional expansion, which really should have came in the base box. The idea of having the moats really make it feel like a castle. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of worried that this might be like subdivision was for Suburbia, where it's just kind of like another take on the game, but maybe not necessarily a better take. And I just like you, Anthony, I'd really ask Bezier Games and and Ted Alsback to maybe dig a little deeper and give us something that has a, a little more heaviness to it because I think he has it in him and uh, I'd like to see, you know, Suburbia, but a little bit heavier actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Suburbia still remains their heaviest game, which is not even that heavy of a game. Nope. So I think it's in the sweet spot for, you know, a casual or regular game group, but it's not necessarily, you know, it's not a heavy Euro or anything like that. So I don't know. I think it's there. I think they could do it. And maybe it's just like, that's not their brand. Sure. Um, I understand they're the one night guys. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I'll play it, but it's not out of all the stuff that came out of Gamma. This is not, this wasn't at the top of my list. Sure. Um, although by the way too, cause I know, we, you know, we're probably moving on here in a second, but, uh, miniature games, another one. <laughs> what is that? Yes. What is happening? 
Yeah, what is it? The A Song of Fire and Ice miniature game where they didn't actually use the words game or thrones <laughs> at all in the announcement. And he makes you wonder, like, what is the license here, guys? But but what's funny, um, too, is it looks like what they already released with the Terranos universe, right? Yeah, it's just Cool Mini or Not's version of it's their competitor to the, the Room Wars miniature game. Like, yeah. they're like, oh, they're doing it. So we're going to do it. I don't feel like there's enough of an audience to support two of these from the major I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they know something I don't. But like, because I love miniatures. I love tactics. I'm not buying either of these games. <laughs> like... <laughs> well, I I kind of predicted that the Terranoff universe would kind of go by the wayside. And you know, just because of the license and the IP here, this this new, this more IP version, thematic version might actually do that. Because like you said, it's the universe is not big enough for both of them. And wouldn't you, of course, choose Game of Thrones over the Terranoff universe? I feel like if they went straight to retail, it might do the same thing. Because there was a battle lore with Game of Thrones, and that didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, that was before Game of Thrones was the biggest thing in the world. But, yes. but they're going to kickstart this, which means 20,000 people are going to own it with all the extra <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And that's all it takes to turn one of their games into a mega hit is because then everybody else wants it. So... They'll be fine. And then really with those games, though, it's all about organized play. So and I don't cool many or not hasn't really that I've seen. I haven't seen any organized play at my local stores from them. Nope. Um, I, I they need to kind of get into that. Otherwise, I don't see how they're going to be able to do it. Whereas Fantasy Flight, they're not great at it, but they've been doing it. So they have a structure in place, at least. Yeah, and I think when it comes to miniature games, as you said, you're looking for the organized play, but you would kind of you'd kind of go along with backing the Kickstarter because you do like the miniatures. So if you could get miniatures from Game of Thrones and maybe possibly in the future have a chance at organized play, I think people would be more likely to go with that than the Terranoff universe where maybe you're going to get organized play because Fantasy Flight does a better job by far doing that. But what are you going to do with the miniatures? They're going to be kind of, you know, nondescript. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to do. And it's also we're starting with Starks versus Lannister, so there's no dragons in the first set. I mean, sure. come on. <laughs> well, let's see what the Kickstarter goals are. So I know, yeah, I know it's gonna be like all the dragons and a giant and the wall. <laughs> we can put a wall in the box. Yeah, there's a wall. <laughs> yeah. I was disappointed that it looked like the same exact format with the with the circles fill fitting a square. Because I'm like, ah, just saw that. Really not didn't want to do that. Okay. I guess, but it's going to make a ton of money and people who are not board game fans but are Game of Thrones fans will jump into it. So, hey, I guess that helps on some level. This is true. This is true. I guess we'll see how it does at the end of the year. Yeah, I guess clearly their marketing departments on both of the companies have determined that this is a big, unexplored, rich vein to kind of mine. So this is probably will not be the last miniatures version of this. So... As the companies kind of shrink and spread out a little bit, we'll probably see a lot more. But I guess if you were going to look for something in this area, that would fit. Although I would rather see something in the Star Wars universe with AT-ATs and such. But yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> then, then you have then you have a backer here. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, you know, give them time. It's not <laughs> they know how to milk that license. That's for sure. It's very very true. All right. So that's everything for our acquisition disorders for this week. And now, at the table with BGA. 
Okay, so for At the Table this week, we are talking about two games that we've got a chance to play. And we're here to let you know if the game is a buy, you should run out and pick that game up. If the game is a play, and you should absolutely sit down at the table. Or maybe the game's a dodge, and you just should really find another game. Or if the game is the dreaded burn, or our new rating, you'd rather punch than buy. Then you should avoid that game at all costs, or just take the game home, punch it all up, put it back in the box, and stick it on the shelf. Which unfortunately happens with a lot of games these days. Yeah, I feel like if we're if we're using that as a new rating, that's like half my collection. I don't know. <laughs> it was so much fun to punch. Maybe in the future it'll be just like bubble wrap. You just buy it just to punch it, and then you just you're done. You're like, it's going to be the new legacy game. It's just going to be things you can rip up and things you can punch and things you can unbox. It's not actually a game. It's just an activity. I feel like that's like we're reverting to toddlers. Isn't that what kids do? <laughs> just want to play with the box. <laughs> well, look, I mean, doesn't that work for like the, you know, the CCG market where it's just like you pay a buck so you can open a random pack just to find that you have a duplicate for the 50,000th time to open up a random pack to find you have a duplicate to open a random pack to find you have a duplicate. So, mm, yeah, we, yeah, true. we're <laughs> yes, we, we were stuck in those terrible, terrible expensive patterns that's why it's board gamers not as anthony <laughs> this is true this is my shelves do attest to this <laughs> it's very very true so um speaking about your shelves any of those games you know come down and hit the table this week yes so uh the game that i got out this week has been sitting at near the top of my two playlist for several months um this is actually uh the newest version of vinos um, the deluxe edition uh, and this shipped out to backers uh, from a kickstarter that ran last year from eagle griffin games i think in october or november um and they actually sent over a copy and i, I just it's a big meaty game and i had not actually played the original edition so i had to sit down and kind of run wanted to run through that first the 2010 vintage they call it um and in the box, you actually get both versions of the game. So the, the board is double-sided, and you have all the components you need to play both. And most of the components work for both, but there are some that only work in one or the other. And then on the other side is the 2016 Vintage. The main difference being the 2016 Vintage is streamlined. So it's a little simpler. And when I sim say simpler, I mean not one of the more complicated games you've ever seen. Um, so Vinos, the first edition, was... While not it's not the most complicated game I've ever played, it is one of the most brain-burning uh, because there are about four or five different systems you have to keep track of. There's your wine production, there's the wine quality modifiers, there's your bank, um, there's your income, there's your victory point engines, there's the wine tasting fair, there's the magnates. All of those are separate systems. You have a limited number of actions in the whole game, about 12 plus any bonus actions you come up with, and you have to kind of balance all of those out uh, to come out in the head, ahead in the end. Very complicated. And really most of the time playing the game, people were just thinking, which is normal. You know, it's a Lacerda game, but um, maybe a little bit too much. It's just tough to teach. I really, really liked it, uh, but it's a tough one to teach because there's so much to know and so many things you need to kind of understand how they work together. Now, I'm going to talk today about the 2016 Vintage, because this is the new version, um, and this is the one I think most people will play, uh, unless they are fans of the older version of the game. And it is not so much. Um, it has most of those same systems. All the core mechanics are the same. Uh, but three very important parts have been streamlined, I feel, uh, and makes it less confusing. And 
when you look through the rule book, they mark everything that's different, and it's really not that much stuff. So it's pretty impressive that Lacerda was able to streamline his game without getting rid of the core of it, the heart of the game that made it so good, and yet still make it a little more accessible and easier to teach. Um, I feel like this could be taught in about 15 minutes uh, versus the first edition, which is a good 30 to 40 minute teach, plus guidance throughout the game. Uh, so it's, it's a little rough. Uh, so the basic idea of the game is that you are the owner of uh, multiple wine estates, uh, or at least hopefully multiple wine estates, and you're growing different wines um, in uh, Portugal, in different uh, regions of Portugal, and you are um, building vineyards, building wineries, hiring enologists, bringing on farmers, doing all these things to produce the highest quality wine you can. And then with that quality wine, you will sell it to local places for money, ship it overseas for victory points, or submit it to the fair uh, for potential bonuses that you can get. Uh, and so there are nine different action spaces you can take. Um, two of them are duplicates, so there's eight different ones and nine total on the board. And over the course of six rounds, you get two turns per round, and you get to move these different spaces and buy different things. So you can buy new vineyards, um, start a new estate with that. You can buy wineries, um, that increase the value or the, the quality of the wine from that vineyard. You can pick up wine expert tiles, which can be used for victory points later, or they have special abilities on them you can use once per turn. You can sell wine. You can ship wine for points. Lots of different things you can do. And you're going to move around there. And it's a little bit of a, it's not really worker placement because you only have the one action marker and there are rules on where you can go. If you go to the same place as someone else, for example, you have to pay them to go there. So it's very tricky that way. Uh, and so doing all these things, you're going to build up all of your estates, all of your wineries, all of your vineyards. And throughout the course of those six rounds, you're working towards fairs. There's three of them. Uh, one at the end of the third, one at the end of the fifth, and one at the end of the sixth round. And in the fair, you're going to submit one of your wines, increasing the value, which is different than quality. The value is what they're, you know, people will actually see it as. Um, as much as you can, you get that many fair points, which are not victory points, and then you gain bonuses based on that. So if you're the first person to go to the fair, you pick which spot you get, and then you can get some points at the end of each fair, depending on where you are on the fair point track. Um, the really interesting thing about this 2016 vintage is, A, the fair is much simpler. <laughs> um, uh, the older version, there was a track that kept track of different um, components and qualities of the wine and it moved in different ways and you had to kind of manipulate it to score points this one you just score points based on the quality of the wine boom done easy no math boom um the the second part is the bank is gone you just have money now so if you sell something you just get cash in the past if you sold something you got money in your bank which you then had to withdraw if you needed it so it was an extra action to get the cash out um, which just made it really, really hard to do anything. <laughs> You're always broke. And then they had like an investment track and you could take dividends. I like all that. I have no problem with any of that. It just made it harder, more complicated overall. And then the third major change at the top of the board is the wine magnets. So in the past, if you matched the desires of these three individuals that are listed there, one of them cares about the color of the wine, one cares about the quality, and one cares about where it comes from, uh, you could place barrels there, and then move them around for free actions. It was a little confusing. It wasn't always clear when you could do that or how you were able to do it. So what they've done now is they've put two barrels in each of those sections, and if you match them at the end of the fair, 
you can take those barrels back and those barrels can then be used to sell or export wine. So by matching them, you get the resources back that you need to score more points. It's pretty straightforward in that way. Uh, at the same time, you'll then be able to bid on, or not bid on, you'll be able to, to draft out different bonus action tiles uh, by spending extra wine. And then towards the end of the game, you'll be drafting out um, bonus tiles that give you extra victory points based on like how many vineyards you have, how many sellers you have, etc. So all like mechanics that people are familiar with, like this is a end of game victory point card and this is what it means and this is how you get it. And that's not to say that it's been watered down or simplified so much, but it's just a little, the language, the game language here in this version of the game is more in line with games that are out today. So I feel like if I put this down on the table, teaching it to people who've never played it before, but have played other Euros, they're going to understand most of the mechanisms based on context. Whereas the first edition had a lot of, um, I'm not going to say fiddly because it wasn't really fiddly. It was pretty elegant, but they're just different. They were hard to teach. They're a little hard to wrap your brain around. It wasn't actually that complicated of a game once you got it, but uh, getting it was the rough part. So uh, I, I really, really enjoy the second edition. Um, it looks much better than the first edition. The deluxe version has that Ian O'Toole artwork that all of his games now have, um, which is beautiful. So, you know, it, it comes in the same size box as the Galarus, has kind of the same look and feel as that game. Um, you know, obviously you don't have the original artwork that you do from the other one, but it, it feels like part of a collection of games, you know, at that level of quality. So it uh, makes me more excited for Lisboa when it comes out too. Uh, it's, it's one I wish I'd played before uh, so I could more appreciate kind of this new version, um, which updates it. I can see playing the older version, like if I find a group of people who've played it before, I think there is a place for it, and I'm glad it came in the box. I think if I brought this to game night, though, it would always be the newer version just because it would be a little bit quicker and easier to teach. But it's really, really good. I mean, I don't – I don't. I know some people try to compare it to Viticulture and say which one's better. I feel like they're completely different audience-wise. Viticulture is definitely a mid-weight Euro worker placement game and a very good one with the expansions. This is – more of a you know economic resource management game on a much larger scale even at the streamlined version of the game is more complicated than viticulture by a good amount so i would say you know if you like euros if you've played co2 or the gallerist or any of the other you know lacerda games or anything of that tier um definitely track this one down and take a look at it i'm hesitant to give it a buy because it has that eagle griffin pricing um and you guys know what i mean it's, it's like 130 dollars or something but um, because of that pricing, these games tend to go on sale, you know, here and there on uh, various third party websites, <laughs> the online retailers. So if you see it on sale, pick it up. It's well worth it. I don't know that I'd pay one hundred and thirty dollars for it because it's just not going to see that much play because of the weight. But if, if you have the opportunity, definitely give it a play. And if, if it's a good price, pick it up. Well, it's great to hear that the second edition does a good deal to kind of improve upon the original because I heard there was some issues with the original. As you're saying, getting it out to the table is quite difficult. But I think all of his games in general, just because of the game length and the length of time to teach, really is terribly unfortunate because they have really so much to offer. Yeah, I feel like this second edition, you know, could probably be played in two plus hours. Okay. I don't, it's definitely shorter than The Gallerist. 
there's not as much going on. The, the original edition, I could see that being a three to four hour game easily just because sure. there's so much to keep track of. And you could sit and stare at the board for five minutes trying to figure out where you're going to get your money from. Now it's pretty simple. There's two places to get money and there's four or five ways to score points. Like there, it's, there's a flow to it and it makes sense. And I could see purists being not as into it because sure. it's a little watered down. But I don't think I ever would have played that first edition if I just had a copy lying around. I don't know who would have played it with me or when I would have played it. It'd be a con game. This one I could see hitting a game night, which is the goal, right? It's, you know, we want games that we can play regularly. So sure. um, super glad that they did it. I think it's well worth it. There were a bunch of expansions in the box too, mini expansions that came with it. Sure. And I don't, to be honest, I don't know which of those are Kickstarter exclusives and which are not, but I have not played with them yet. So I know there's a couple at Ad Islands, um, some additional wine experts get thrown in there. There's some different types of sellers. Uh, there's a few of them. Uh, but I also know those are available too separately if you if you don't have them. So it's a a lot of different ways to play this game, which is always cool. Yeah, I think he just needs one game to hit a table somewhat frequently so that people go back and invest in the larger games because you know, these big heavy games, they're such a hectic nightmare to kind of teach at a game night. Mm-hmm that I don't think that people seem to invest in it. Like, people own these games. I have not played these games, and I'm like, I really want to play them, and yet just never happens, and sometimes they're played at conventions, but the convention organizers don't give enough time to play the entire game out because, obviously, the teaching the rules is a little bit challenging. But maybe this will be the kind of, I don't know, the hinge here that kind of opens things up to the other games that actually do deserve gameplay. So... Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. The only problem I see with that is that it is really expensive. Yeah, I have not actually seen anybody who owns this no, in my groups yet. No. I'm the I'm the guy who has it. Yeah, it's also a really big box. It's gallery sized box because it's sure. you know Eagle Griffin. Everything's pre punched. It's got the great insert, but that makes that box super hard to carry around with you. Like I wouldn't bring it to a con. It's too big. Yeah, that's... you're right. I mean, he needs a game that's accessible, normal sized box and takes two hours to play and then i feel like people would jump in and be like oh we should check out the rest of his catalog exactly yeah it's uh it's pretty dense right now i'm a big fan but i i haven't played them i'm I'm, i keep seeing them you know on people's shelves and they're like nah we don't have enough time to play it or they come on a convention and there's just not enough time for that game and it's it's just it's very frustrating because i i'm really into the heavy euros and for some reason like you said the size, the weight, the cost, it's just prohibitive on one on one level or the other. So, very frustrating. Um, <laughs> damn it! All right, so from very super heavy, complex games that don't fit anywhere to super light games that fit everywhere and with everyone, I am talking about Freedom and Freeze's Fabled Fruit. Now, you may have heard about this game because... It's kind of talked about in the same vein as other legacy games because it has the fabled system. Ooh, fabled system. Which basically means that when you finish playing this game or actually as you're playing this game, the game continues to evolve throughout your gameplay. So there's no ripping up cards here. You will actually be able to play with all of the components over and over again. But the gameplay actually allows the game to be different as you play multiple games. Now, the game itself is pretty simple as far as the game is concerned. And uh, Anthony and I are big Freedom Freeze fans, right, Anthony? You're you're especially a big one. Well, I mean, at least of his one big game. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, it's the game, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Power Grid. Yeah. 
So this is nothing like that. So don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> so the basic set for the game is you set up cards on the table, and each of those cards has a certain ability. So you can, for example, draw two fruit, exchange one banana for two fruit, draw one fruit, then exchange three fruits, or for one fruit to everyone, draw back to three fruits or take unique fruits. So these are just um, some of the many, many cards. And it actually comes with 240 cards in the game. You place your meeple on the card. The card activates. You'll be able to take that action to be able to draw cards. And once you have those cards in your hand, which are these random fruits, you will try to put together the right combination that once again matches that card on the table. You place your meeple back then. You trade in your fruit, if and then it turns into a drink. So you actually pick that card off the table. So you're actually losing that worker placement spot if there's not identical cards underneath it. Then you go back to the stack of cards and then put another card onto the table. And if the card is different, then now you have a different type of gameplay because now there is a new activation spot with a new special ability that that's introduced into the game. So as the game goes on, those original spots go away and they're replaced with new spots and the gameplay changes as the game goes on. So you might say, well, I want to go to that spot that gives me two fruit, but that card is gone and now it's been replaced by something that allows you to use the market to gain fruit. So the gameplay shifts. It's not a dramatic shift, but it is a very good entry level for worker placement games, just kind of showing off that basic mechanic of you know, you have to go to that spot in order to go to the other spot, in order to get enough stuff to be able to trade in, to be able to produce something. So as far as that's concerned, the game does very well. Now, you can consider this a family game. It's a very lightweight game. It's a very interesting and engaging game as far as the game is constantly changing. So despite its lightness, you are always, you know, paying attention to the board and the different combinations that are appearing. But the artwork itself is so cartoony, so preschool cartoony, that I think many gamers are just going to pass this game off right from the top. If you do have family, if you do have, I would say, um, children, 9, 10, 11, that's probably, probably the right age, that are looking to play a worker placement game without all the extra stuff that comes with it let's say a vinios for example <laughs> fable fruit is really the game that you're looking for because plays with a lot of different people plays very fast it's basically two decks of cards i recommend this game i, I give this game a play uh you have to determine if you have the right group or if you want to play this game that often because as i said it is extremely light extremely childish cartoony but it's something worth checking out yeah, it's one I um, I kind of ignored at first because I guess I felt a little burned by 504 and it seemed sure. like another freeze experiment. <laughs> and also, the you know, childish cartooning. So, but then I, I did hear from a couple people in my game group that it was, you know, a good game to play with the people that they played games with who would always want to play the resistance or something. Like it was actually, you know, accessible to those people. I'm like, yes. well, that's good because <laughs> I hate getting stuck in that resistance loop. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's one I might pick up for that reason alone. I don't know. <laughs> it's a it's definitely a good gateway game for non Euro gamers to kind of show them that there's another way to play, and it's not intimidating, obviously, because of the artwork and because you're basically taking fruit to make juice. 
but it does change enough with the card, the new cards that are coming out that I think it can hold a gamer's, you know, more heavy gamer's attention long enough. It's a good filler because you could play, I would say, 15 minutes. You play a whole game and then you, you could decide to play another one and that's another 15 minutes and you keep going. So it's not a it's not a long you know setup and breakdown time. You're just picking out some cards. So as far as that's concerned, it, it meets its uh, you know status quo as far as the uh, the fruitiness of this game is concerned. So that is fabled fruit. All right, so that's everything hitting our table on this episode. Let's get on to the feature review. And now BGA's feature review. So here we are. Board Gamers Anonymous, Board Gamers Madness 2017. You've already listened to the last episode where we had 64 games battling it out. Now we're down to 32. So let's get into the brackets and see how it finally reaches its maximum conclusion. All right, so let's see how they battle out and who reaches the number one spot. All right, so let's start off with our fancy bracket. How are you feeling about our fancy bracket, Anthony? It really slimmed down a lot. Uh, it's all about some Cthulhu, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> Just... <laughs> <laughs> well, it was bound to happen. We were going to go mad. I mean, it's been 113 episodes, so, you know, it makes sense. They got us in the end. I remember the, <laughs> the first 99-ish episodes, not a single Cthulhu, and now it's all over the place. It's so. true. Cthulhu's gone mainstream, man. It's you know it's the hipster of the monster universe. So I guess it was only a matter of time. So let's let's talk about that first bracket. So our number one seed, Mansions of Madness, versus our huge surprise here, our number eight seed, Fabled Fruit. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Take I think that, it's funny Cthulhu. That, <laughs> I think it's funny that we both. Uh, took games that were on this list from last time and that's what we played last week <laughs> um completely different games but they're both on the list today all right so mansions of madness epic sprawling uh app enabled uh mystery adventure game uh fabled fruit as we all learned a, a very playable light entry level worker placement game uh-huh. uh, that i have not played so <laughs> i mean i guess on the fantasy side i'm gonna have to evoke go with the one that evokes more of a story even though it doesn't have a fable system um and and go with the madness down with the madness huh i'm down with the madness apparently <laughs> well i mean sure you got cthulhu for theme but you know fabled fruit has animals helping you blend fruit for fabled drinks huh huh come on guys theme 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 no no all right yeah all right i i get it okay let's uh Let's let's continue to get down with the madness, and I'm gonna pick uh, Mansions of Madness. All right, that's easy. <laughs> all right. Well, were our listeners as mad as we were with all these games? Yes, yes, they very much uh, were down with the madness as well for that first matchup. So Mansions of Madness moves on. Now our next battle is our number two seed, Arkham Hara, the card game, versus Harry Potter. Hogwarts battle. All right, so we got battle of the cards here, Anthony. Huh, doing pretty good with these brackets here. How'd you do that? Come on. Yeah, it's all on purpose. <laughs> and like, I knew how people would vote. Uh, and I feel like I voted for the other one, so Harry Potter wasn't even the one I wanted in here. <laughs> so, spoiler, I'm going to go with Arkham Horror, the card game. Uh, it's, it's, I still have a lot of fun with this. The story is fantastic. And I don't know, man. I don't know what happens. Cthulhu's in the brain or what, but. 
Uh, Fantasy Flight has done it. They've done it to me, and I'm all on for Arkham Horror. All right. Well, as you said, I mean, Arkham Horror does a great job. Nice to see all those sets together playing very well. It's the LCG system. I don't know. I, I, you know what? You know, for the sake of hmm, for the sake of Luna Lovegood, I'm gonna go with Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle Man because you know I want magic and I and I have to dispel the darkness and I'm gonna go with Harry Potter. Man, you are all about this game, championing I... <laughs> championing the the Harry Potter game. It's a it's a good game. I mean, <laughs> I do like it. And when it comes to our listeners, uh-huh. they also like it. Woo-hoo! So. I, I think the the uh, IP on this, and we saw this at Gen Con last year. There we were gr- grown adults rushing to the USAopoly booth. Yeah, talk about madness, right? Yeah, the USAopoly booth. Who who I thought know. we would ever say that? <laughs> um, fighting over copies of this deck builder for children. So I don't. Don't be bitter. Uh, I'm not bitter. <laughs> I have it. I like it. Well, look. Uh, this, this is why I'm saying. I mean, I understand Arkham Hara does a great thing. I just feel like there are so many games that just really fit that same niche as far as theme is concerned. And I really do honestly appreciate the mechanics to the Harry Potter game just because playing through the different books, you're gaining additional powers and abilities just like they do in the books. And I think that is such a brilliant concept because it's it's able to walk people through not just the books or movies, depending on how you look at it, but also through deeper and deeper mechanics. And I just find that very interesting and engaging as far as the theme is concerned. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you there. So I'm not I'm not super upset. No, uh, I hear you. It's a good game. It's worthy of moving on. Well, your Dark Lords will be pleased with your you fighting for them for the very end. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle moves on to the next round. In our next matchup, we have number three, Clank, versus number 11, One Deck Dungeon. All right, Anthony, now we're back to the dungeons. Here we go, buddy. I did it. I did it again. You did. Real (laughs) true fantasy matchups. Jeez, old school, man. Yeah, yeah. I know we've got the uh, the deck builder with the the epic sprawling board going down deep into the dungeon, and you have the One Deck Dungeon. Mm -hmm. Um. Both kind of have that roguelike feel to them. The I gotta be honest, I mean, I like both of these games a lot. I think Clank is is probably the best game currently that does deck building in the way that it does it sure. uh, with the board and everything. But One Deck Dungeon is I don't know, it's got a special place for me. I've been playing it a lot. It's it's uh, the last game on here that really represents for me and the solo community as well. I got to stand up there. Just as far as I don't know, it it just has something about it. It's just a charming little game, and there's more coming for it soon too, which. I, th- I mean, so same thing for Clank. I think there's an expansion coming out in the next couple of weeks, but uh, it's, I don't know, man. I, One Deck Dungeon has, you know, really captured my uh, attention in a way I didn't expect because it's just one of those small deck boxes, which I have like a hundred of, uh, but it stands out. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I've actually seen both of these games at game night, and that's pretty surprising, especially with the One Deck Dungeon. I thought that game was going to be a one and done, or like you said, solo play, where that was just going to be played at home. So, I'm pretty surprised about that. And both games do have interesting mechanics to go along with the theme. And I do think that both really do a solid idea as far as this is concerned. Um, I don't know. This this is pretty much... This is a real challenge here. 
I'm really struggling with this one here. Thematically, going into a dungeon would awaken more and more monstrous, and in this case, dragons, to take out the, you know, the adventurers. I'm going to buy a split hair go with Clank. Duh. Duh. <laughs> did the listeners go with Clank too? They did, yeah. Mm. Yeah, one deck dungeons tough, man. It's a one to two player game. I know I, I had to stand up for it. I understood no, where know. I was. It's just a minority. It's a, we're we're a, a growing minority of uh, gamers of kids, but um, <laughs> um, but Clank you can play solo now too, actually. So yeah. maybe I shouldn't be too hard on that. Yeah, I like the deep sea adventure thing where it's not just about you know a race, but it's also about can you get out in time before mm-hmm. you, you know. So there's a little mechanics there. It definitely needs the expansion, so I'm looking forward to it being a little more complex, which it definitely needed. All right, so Clank moves on to the next round. All right, so let's talk about our next matchup. Number four, Conan, versus number five, Mystic Vale. All right. Um, I think I said this last time, but if I had not played Conan in the last month or so, I probably would just go with Mystic Vale. Conan's, you know, it's a theme we all know. It's been around for a while, but the sure. game itself is really good, and it does such a good job of reflecting that theme. And like I said last time, Mystic Vale, while unique, there aren't other themes like it. It's just kind of bland uh, in its current state for me. So I'm going to go with Conan. Yeah, this is another tough one. I mean, it shouldn't be a tough one. Mystic Vale should blow Conan right away. Uh, I remember looking at the Kickstarter and going, oh, okay, I, I kind of get this, and it's a thing. And then actually sitting down to play Conan with the idea that the Dungeon Master here has a setup in which the monsters are lined up, and they can activate the monsters, but based on where they are on the row, they're more expensive, and they move down to the bottom of the row, and it's just such an interesting mechanic and you can play it as a kind of one and done type of adventure or you can play it as far as a campaign is really dynamic. The Mystic Veil here, I love the idea of the Druids. I love an idea of a nod slash and dice kind of game because there just needs to be more of that in the fantasy universe. It's not all blasting trolls away and the card crafting mechanic is outstanding. This is a very tight one for me. So I'm really having a tough time here yet again. And I guess we're supposed to have the tough time as we go forward. But I'm going to say Conan just because I think I was more excited to play that game. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't think I would be. Uh, It's especially, you know, it's got some issues, you know, presentation. uh, It's depiction of women, especially. I know that's something people have talked about. And it is problematic. I mean, I agree with that. but the game itself and the way it represents the theme, it definitely does those things right. And Mystic Veil is just, I don't know, man, like, I just, I feel like something more is needed there thematically. Yeah. And I, and I think as, and I would agree too. I mean, the depiction of women in that game is seriously problematic. And there are, there are very many strong characters, strong female characters in Conan that it was disappointing. I was actually playing the female character, one of, I guess, the main female character in the game, and she was quite underpowered. And basically her power was helping other people move around. So that was kind of disappointing. I think where Mystic Veil falls down for me, even though I love the theme, I'm really interested in the card crafting mechanic, there wasn't enough synergy. 
in the cards when you build mm-hmm. the kind of deck together like yes you have these helms and they they can kind of score points but it didn't have enough you're just basically playing for you know to be able to pick up those gems as quickly as possible so i think that's where it kind of fell down for me and i was really into the theme mystic veils theme with the druids kind of regrowing the land and all the special creatures that's my that's my jam man i'm, I'm down for that <laughs> and i'm just like no uh, yeah eh, eh. so I have not played the expansions yet. Maybe the expansions bolster it up a lot, but we're talking about the base set, so I think Conan, maybe a little bit unfairly based upon its Kickstarter, kind of wins out that competition and moves on to the next round. All right, so now we're on to our sci-fi bracket. So starting off with our number one seed, Terraforming Mars, versus our number eight seed, Star Trek Frontiers. Man, this is easy for me. Uh <laughs> Y'all, I mean, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you've heard me talk about Terraforming Mars for the last, what, seven months. Sure. Um, favorite game of last year, probably in my top ten now. Easy. This is easy. Terraforming Mars all the way. What about Mage Knight? What about Star Trek Mage Knight, man? I, I would pick Mage Knight. I don't <laughs> – I like Frontiers, but it's just Mage Knight light. Uh, so not enough – Thematically, it's got Star Trek, um, but it also has some weird thematic holes that don't quite make sense. Like you're spending data crystals or something uh, as these weird power-up currencies. There is an expansion coming for this, by the way. We interviewed Andrew Parks a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about this. It's going to make the game harder and add some interesting new elements that he couldn't quite talk about yet. So I will look at that because I think it, it sounds like it could be interesting and actually add some depth to the game thematically. But right now, I don't think there is a Star Trek game that stands up to Terraforming Mars for me at at this point. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll talk about that in maybe the next round. But yeah, um, I was pretty hyped about Star Trek Frontiers. I'm a big Star Trek fan. And I've heard so many legends about Frontiers that it was something I was really looking forward to playing. And then I think there was just a lot of challenges as far as the game was concerned. And that really bummed me out a lot because... I'm still trying to find that solo game that I really want to spend the time in the table space to play each and every week. And Star Trek Frontiers was going to be that game. But it just doesn't do it. Terraforming Mars, despite all my issues with the mechanics and some of the artwork and definitely the production, uh, it's still a better game. So Terraforming Mars moves on to the next round, unless our listeners have something to say about that, Anthony. Uh, they do not. They they also like some Mars. All right. So Mars moves on. So for our next matchup, we have our number two game, Scythe, versus our number seventh game, Star Trek Ascendancy. And they're back. <laughs> <laughs> More Star Trek. Yeah, this is such a... Star Trek Ascendancy, to be fair, is probably the best thematic Star Trek game out there. Um, I did enjoy it quite a bit. And I've said this like a dozen times, but those expansions need to come out. We need the other two factions. We need the Borg to come out. This game needs more content to be something worth picking up and playing through. Scythe, on the other hand, is just, wow. Like, thematically, all this stuff. Like, taking this artwork, which was already just incredible, and just building a whole world with it. I mean, the world existed, but just building it in this game form. There's just things like this don't exist. People don't do this typically. So what Stegmeier's done with this game is just, it's unique and it's interesting and it works so well. So it's got to be Scythe. Yeah. 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 Um, I would, I would s- still say that there's better Star Trek games out there. 
I did like Ascendancy as far as being thematic to its special race in the game, but it just there are some points in the game when it just loses out theme like just chewing a piece of bubble gum where it's just like yeah i got some theme theme man theme up oh, the theme's gone <laughs> <laughs> all right theme's gone i'm kind of bummed about that now let's just move around space lanes for the rest of the game whereas scythe as i think everyone knows you know is kind of themed top to bottom as far as the population is concerned and the artwork is this outstanding the production's outstanding the game I feel is the best Stegmeier game out there just because oh, yeah. it really streamlines all of his previous concepts before. So I don't know why you're playing anything else but Scythe just because it just does it better. So I'm I'm going to say my vote's for Scythe. What about our listeners? Uh, yeah, they're, they're all aboard the Scythe train. On all this right. One. So Scythe moves on to the next round. All right. So our next competition is our number three seed. Mechs versus Minions versus our number six seed, Star Wars Destiny. Hmm. This seems like it should be harder than it is. Pretty sure I know what I'm going with here. But just to be, we talked about this a little bit last time. Star Wars Destiny is a surprisingly thematic card game. Like things work the way they feel they should. You can attach, you know, like you can attach the lightsabers to, to the right characters and you have the heroes and the villains. They can't be the same decks and everything. And it all works really well in a very, very streamlined package. Uh, but Mechs versus Minions is this epic production that really, even for somebody who knows literally nothing about the world, having never played League of Legends, I just feel pulled into these characters and the aesthetic and the kind of the humor of of the setting of this particular game it's very evocative again with knowing nothing which is impressive so i'm gonna go with mechs versus minions yeah i was really surprised with star wars destiny i I thought they did an outstanding job i really like how you're attaching weapons and you have special abilities that match the heroes or the villains in this game and it's pretty damn impressive i'm really surprised by that i can't believe i'm saying that it looks like a bunch of like I don't know, play school kind of dice. <laughs> it just it didn't look any any way kind of like I would ever want to play this game. And I played it. I'm like, wow, this is a good game. This is actually a really good game. Mechs versus Minions. I actually know all about the League of Legends universe. And I was kind of bummed out when this game first came out because it's not that MOBA. It's not that you know type of gameplay that you do get to play in League of Legends. This is a co-op programming game which is so weird because the game has nothing to do with that at all. If you've played League of Legends, you know this. If you haven't played it, you're like, hey, I'm going to play League of Legends where I can do co-op building, and it's nothing like that at all. I will say that, very similar to that Scythe, typically when we talk about, you know, gimmicks and games and how, you know, they spent a little more money on this or the price point was excellent on this game – and especially here with Mex versus Minions, there's there's sound clips that you can listen to to start the round off, and the mechs are the at least a player mechs, and the special big boss are painted. The cards are great, the graphics are great, the production pushes this game over the top, and I'm gonna go with Mex versus Minions. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that production level. I mean, if it was literally just Chrome on a cruddy game, it'd be different, but it's a good game too. It's a good game, and I'll tell you. I wanted to I wanted to really hate this game, X versus Minions. I really wanted to hate it because it's not League of Legends. 
And it just very – it upsets me because I want to play a League of Legends game in a board game format. And they brought this game out and I was like, programming? Co-op game? I'm just like, no. But it's good. I hate to say it, but it is good. So I don't know. Do our listeners think it's good too? They do. Yeah, they agree on this one. <laughs> All right. Mechs versus Minions moves on to the next round. And our final battle in the sci-fi bracket is our number four seed, Star Wars Rebellion, versus our number five seed, Cry Havoc. All right. So, again, we talked about this a little bit last time. Uh, we've got, on one hand, Star Wars, and probably the game that best manifests that theme, at least kind of on the on the trilogy level. We have different games that kind of tap into different elements of the, of the series and really catch on those themes really well, like X-Wing or Armada. Um, but a Rebellion really is the way, if you want to play the movies, this is how to do it. Cry Havoc is you kind of got your stereotypical uh, space races going after the same resources on the same planet and they're fighting each other. So it's evocative of a lot of different types of movies. It's kind of a, a genre uh, thematic, thematic to the genre, I should say. Um, and for that reason alone, like it's not forgettable necessarily. They are unique races. The artwork's really good. The layout of the board's very interesting. The game is unique in a lot of ways. It's very asymmetrical. But it is still like drawing on a lot of things that have been in fiction everywhere. And so all things being even, if that's the case, uh, I'm going to go with the licensed IP that does it so well. Um, games like this are among my favorite when you have these big, sprawling, one-on-one asymmetrical games. War of the Ring is my favorite game. Star Wars Rebellion is right up there now. So uh, Star Wars Rebellion, if I want to play Star Wars, this is the way to do it. Sure. Anthony, have you played StarCraft? Do you know of the StarCraft universe? Yeah. Yeah, and I know like a lot of the Cry Havoc stuff definitely reminds me of some of those guys. Thank you. That's what I hear a lot about this game. And that's fine. That's not that's not a bad area to draw from. So I, I sincerely appreciate that. But Star Wars Rebellion, man, it's the movies. It's the original trilogy. And it, it really gets right what I guess a lot of other Star Wars games don't get right, which is it's a rebel alliance that's basically barely holding it together versus this gigantic empire, this massive machine that's kind of spreading out across the universe. And the game just does it right. So even if it wasn't the IP, they nailed the, they nailed the theme perfectly. So I'm going to go with Star Wars Rebellion. And what about our listeners? Were they down with the Force? Uh, I lost it. <laughs> Where to go? Actually, the listeners kind of went with Cry Havoc on this one. I'm surprised, but wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, there are yeah. a lot of fans of Cry Havoc. I mean, the the one thing you have to say about Star Wars Rebellion is it is hard to play. It is hard to get any sure. two player game to the table, especially if it takes three hours. So yeah, and that was a big expensive game. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Star Wars Rebellion moves on to the next round. And now to our economic bracket. So what we're looking at here is our number one seed, Great Western Trail, versus our number eight seed, The Colonist. Yeah, so we have two really big, sprawling, fiddly <laughs> games. I feel like both of these kind of tackle their theme about equally. And one is much shorter but that's relative because it's still kind of long so i'm gonna go based on the game that i feel 
uh, streamlines some of the stuff the best and is most playable. And in that's in this case, that's going to be Great Western Trail because it is uh, a little bit more accessible. Um, it does have a lot of those fister mechanics we're familiar with. There are some parts that are a little wonky-ish, but overall the game plays really smoothly, and it it does the theme pretty well. I think there are some parts that it's a little abstract, but the the whole idea of kind of going down the trail multiple times, getting your your income, coming back, doing it again, um, that works really well. The colonists also very thematic, but also very long, and at times feels a little number crunchy because of how much stuff is going on. So um, kind of the downfall of any super, super heavy Euro. Sure. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like Great Western Trail let me down as far as the theme's concerned. I feel like you can take that and really be any type of theme. I think it's a great game, and I love Mombasa. I think Mombasa is one of my favorite games of all time now at this point. And even though that still it's a little light on theme i think it does the theme a little bit better mechanically than uh great western trail colonist super long euro game where you're building up man it's it's kind of hard to say here because i think both offer a good level of crunch as far as the game's concerned but i think that actually having the opportunity to build up a civilization is really more what i want to go with so i'm going to go with the colonists and what about our listeners? Where, which way did they go on the trail? Uh, so the listeners, this one was super duper close. Both games got pretty much the same amount of votes, which I was surprised with because the colonists uh, came out late. I mean, they both came out late in the year, but the one is a little bit harder to find and a little bit more expensive. But in the end, Great Western Trail did win out, just eked out the win on this one. All right. Well, Great Western Trail moves on to the next round. So next up is our number two seed, Quadropolis. Versus our number seven seed, first class. Anthony, what do you got? Okay, this one's tough because I like both of these games a lot. If you were going to ask me my top games from last year, both of these would be, if not on the list, near the list. Impressive. Uh, Quadropolis, I don't know, it just it kind of fell off the radar, I guess. People didn't really, at part least not it, in my circles, didn't pick it up as much. It's but part of its price with Asmodee, I think, this time. Yeah. yeah Days, I mean, Days of Wonder games get picked up just because they're days of wonders game this was a challenge yeah I mean, that's why i picked it up yeah. and in the end i really really enjoyed it and when i bring it out people like it first class again i talked about this last time it's taking 18xx and boiling it down into a one-hour card game which is awesome i just don't have the patience for 18xx so uh it's like russian railroads but shorter and so it's it's really close for me i mean thematically i feel like they're both kind of in the same ballpark they're both about an hour hour and a half Kind of abstract theme-ish, not super complicated. In the end, though, I think I'm going to lean towards the trains. I just building the combos, building out your train, getting all the cars on there, kind of going down the, the different routes, uh, or at least, I mean, I'm sorry, going down the one route <laughs> and kind of extending your reach uh, with your conductors. It's it's pretty cool. Quadropolis is really, really good, though. Um, so that's, this was a close one for me. Yeah, I, I feel like Quadropolis because we've seen similar games do the same type of thing and maybe even a little bit better in some cases, you know, it kind of loses out on theme or it's kind of been there, done that. Not that the game is not good. It's just that we've seen the theme in other places. Whereas first class, while there's plenty of 18 double X games, just the thematic presentation of 
building up these passenger cars and then getting to certain spots where you get these additional cards in the game. You're putting passengers on the cards. You are moving the train down the track to pick up bonuses. Man, it's it's sincerely, genuinely thematic and it's surprising to say. And then actually moving the conductor down the rail cards to be able to score those points. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of genius, man. It, it really they, it's really <laughs> a surprising idea. You just look at it and you're like, this is so. It's I don't know. I want to say it's so dumb. It's smart, or it's just like, wow, this is such like a great idea. So I'm gonna go with first class. It's hit right. the table many times. Yeah, no, this is a great one. And it, and we didn't even mention too like the extra modules, like the, the murder mystery module, which just adds another layer to the game, which is where the name of the game comes from. It's it's so good. I was going to leave that for later, but Murder on the Orient Express, I mean, you're playing this typical Euro game, and now it's got this whole thing, which which one, which one of you is a murderer? Which is crazy, but so thematic and so great to see. So what do our listeners say, Anthony? So I know that I said nobody actually has Quadropolis, and I haven't seen it anywhere, but our listeners really like Quadropolis. Okay. So <laughs> um, this one actually got a lot of votes here, and it did, uh, at least from the listener side, um, went out. But... We both like first class, so it's moving on. Yeah. If our listeners have Quadropolis and they want to invite me to play, I'm down for that. So that's very, very good. All right. So for our next competition, we have our number three seed, Vineos, second edition. Wow. It sounds familiar. A little deja vu here. And our number six seed, Via Nebula. All right, Anthony. How are you feeling these days? <laughs> I feel like this episode might have spoiled this one for people <laughs> a little bit. Sure. I'm going to roll with Vineos. Surprise! The game that I just gave a glowing review to. This is, I mean, Euros in general don't always do theme necessarily, but sometimes they do it and they do it very well. And I think this one does it quite well. It captures all these different elements of growing wine, selling wine, managing wine. It's as thematic as a very heavy Euro can be, it manages to be. And like all of Lacerda's games, actually, he does a very good job at this. Quite impressive. It's I, I definitely have to roll with this one. Well, I'm going to go with Martin Wallace here just because if I'm going to play a Martin Wallace game, Via Nebula does a, a really dynamic game of kind of exploring this this vast land where you're kind of opening tray routes and you're kind of building resources. And the cards really add to this game. I think he really needs this game. As much as you said, Venos does kind of offer a little bit of an entryway, I think Via Nebula thematically does a lot more for Martin Wallace games. But that's not up to us. It's up to our listeners. So, Anthony, what'd they say? All right. So the, the, this is another super close one. And I think we have a kind of a combination of two things here. We have a very expensive second edition of an older, very heavy game. And we have a surprisingly unnecessarily overpriced midweight game true. on Asmo Day. Very, very true. Um, so probably neither of these games has really gotten the exposure they need. It's true. Uh, but in the end, Vinos comes out on top. Uh, I guess a few more people have played and or looked over someone's shoulder at this one <laughs> over the last few months. It's true. And it's surprising that they both end up in this matchup because both these games, while they're great games and for us, they deserve every dollar, if not double or triple. The price is really holding them back. So it's surprising they kind of matched up together. But Vinos second edition moves on to the next round. All right, so for our final matchup in the economic bracket, we have our number four seed, Manhattan Project, Energy Empire, versus our number five game, The Networks. Okay, I mean, these are both, these both managed to handle uh, theme pretty well. I mean, they have 
kind of the set collection engine building um, combination going on uh, in, in different ways. And Manhattan Project, I really like this one especially just because it manages to take kind of the overall theme of a game that sometimes was hard to get some people to play because, let's be honest, Manhattan Project is a heavier theme at times. Sure. And it turns it into more of a, a standard economic style game that's just about energy in general, which I really appreciate. But also with kind of that you know, important message that all this energy does tend to, to cause some pollution and problems. So sure. I thought that was interesting. The Networks is a fun game about a theme that you just don't see very often. I don't, for whatever reason, probably just because it's it's hard to make those things not super generic without getting the licenses. In the end, I feel like Manhattan Project does it a little bit better, thematically speaking, but also in just in terms of raw mechanics, um, replayability, the engine building especially is a lot of fun here, and the card variability is really good. The networks, after a few plays, starts to feel a little samey and needs the expansions that are coming for it, but they're not out yet. So I'm going to lean towards Manhattan Project here. Yeah, I think both these games do a great job as far as theme is concerned. They're both very colorful, interesting, and dynamic, and they really do explore the theme very well. I think where I kind of come out is, as far as gameplay is concerned, where do I really feel the theme? You know what? When I'm rolling those dice in Manhattan Project and I've purchased the really expensive ones that are going to give me the most power, well, when you get the most power, it typically comes with the most pollution so when i'm rolling that die and i'm actually sweating it a little bit because i'm i'm kind of really putting myself in a bad situation and that's what you should feel when you're trying to make the decision on which way to go in this as far as purchasing and rolling energy so manhattan project energy empire is my choice but what about our listeners anthony the listeners another very very close one and i think you know again a couple games that just uh Exposure-wise and access wasn't super great. But in the end, they actually voted for the networks by a hair. Wow. So it was very close. Okay. Well, but the Energy Empire moves on to the next round. So now on to our final bracket, we have our societal historical games. So starting off with our first matchup, it's our number one seed, A Feast for Odin, versus our number nine seed, World's Fair 1893. All right. So, again, if you've listened to this podcast at all, which I'm assuming the vast majority of you have, uh, you know what I think of A Feast for Odin. It's one of my favorite games from last year. Up there is one of my favorite Rosenberg games. It's just that puzzle element really, really does it for me. Thematically, so this is where it's tough for me, because I'm going to be fair and be honest. Thematically, there are some parts that doesn't necessarily make perfect (laughs) sense. Why are my piecing all these things together on a, on a field randomly. Yes. But there are a lot of parts here that do make sense thematically. The the push-your-luck element of the hunt, the the trading, uh, the ships that you need and why you need them, the traveling to other islands to open up new spaces and get new production. I'm going to overlook the thematic flaws here because it's a Euro and go with the Feast for Odin, but not by as much as you might think just because World's Fair 1893 really does the theme so well. Okay. Well... You know, I I mean, Feast for Odin is such a, a interesting game. The dynamics are so fun, especially when you pick up that new island and you're able to build on that. I think it really, you know, that's the point where the game really clicks into the theme. But World's Fair, I mean, you got that giant Ferris wheel. You have those historically accurate cards that come along with the different inventions and how you're playing, you know, 
an area of control in order to get what you need to build up the sets in order to get all of those different types of inventions and characters in the game it's man it's so thematic and it really looks the part i mean have you ever seen a game that has a ferris wheel i mean as 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 the game board and as the the timer in the game man great great job i'm gonna go world's fair 1893 yeah and it's it's almost one of those things where I'm like looking at the at the vote and being like, well, it'd be kind of cool if this one won because it is so thematic. But yeah. people people did vote for a feast for Odin, um, but I do agree. World's Fair 1893 thematically, uh, I feel like it deserved a better matchup here, if nothing sure. else. <laughs> All right, well, a feast for Odin moves on to the next round. Our next matchup is our number two seed Captain Sonar versus our number seven seed Castles of Burgundy, the card game. Mm, okay, so I love Castles of Burgundy, the card game. This is a top 10 game for me from last year. And thematically, it works in a lot of ways. I mean, as much as any Stefan Fell game. Um, but Captain Sonar, man, it, it it is. This is not even a type of game I typically like. I don't like real-time games generally. I'm not big on party-style large group games. But I really, really enjoy this. If you can get the quiet enough space to do it in real time, which is really the only way to play it, Captain Sonar, just you, f- you feel the stress. You feel that stress. So uh, thematically speaking, it really pulls it off quite well. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I mean, the Castles of Burgundy, the card game, is. It's, it's, I'm still looking at the games as they come out from 2016, and just the gameplay alone, it does such an outstanding job here. I, it, it's kind of hard for me to say that it's not one of the best games from 2016 just for the speed of play and the just what it does to improve on the board game version of it. Captain Sonar, I don't know. I don't know how you could take it away from them as far as theme is concerned just because it does a stellar job with all the different areas as far as the gameplay is concerned. I think a lot of the areas are silly to be honest with you. I, I just think some of the areas are just like, nonsense as far as circling certain compartments and things like that whereas castles and burgundy the card game you know you're putting together sets which actually makes a little more sense but yeah captain sonar man i hate to go i hate to say it but i'm sorry felt <laughs> captain sonar oh man well you did better than i did on that first one yeah um, so how about our listeners where did they go uh they just by a hair uh voted for captain sonar as well yeah, if you ask me in another five minutes, I'm going to go back to Castles of Burgundy, the card game. So, <laughs> All right, so our next matchup is our number three seed, Pandemic Iberia, versus our number six seed, Evolution Climate. Okay, uh, this one's a little tough for me. I, I I feel pretty much evenly in terms of both quality of game and theme implementation. Again, Pandemic Iberia manages to make a classic game uh, an essential gateway game for a lot of people thematic, which is impressive because pandemic is not very thematic. That's, that's one of the things that I always had a problem with. It's not, you could be doing, I mean, you're curing diseases, but if they're just cubes on a board, what kind of diseases? I don't know. Just some kind of disease. Who's doing it out of this little pawn. It's not, don't worry about it. Um, pandemic, pandemic Iberia, you're in a real location, they're real diseases. There's real problems. You're solving it in the way that they would have solved it with real people. All of those things make the game better. Evolution Climate, uh, it just takes the core game of Evolution and just adds to it in ways that are um, interesting and engaging. 
And this is one of the most thematic games out there right now, period, on purpose. That's what they were trying to build. So I don't know. I'm super duper on the fence on this one. I think, and and, and at the same time, they're both kind of second iterations of existing games. Yeah. So I think I'm going to lean, again, I really like Pandemic Iberia, but it's still that core pandemic formula, which at its root doesn't, you know, wasn't built with that theme. And I mean, I'm sure it was built with the theme in mind, but it just didn't really grab you. It just does a better job now. So I'm, it's probably um, tinting things a little bit for me. It's better. Maybe it's not the best. Evolution, though, has always really, really felt like you are playing out um, evolution. And these new elements here are really great. So, and, and, and I do really like this a lot. So I'm going to go with Evolution Climate. Yeah, it's hard to go against, especially thematically and gameplay wise the fact that this game has shown up in scientific journals as far as, you know, evoking evolution and climate does take it to the next level and it does it very, very well. So I'm going to vote for evolution climate, but um, what about our listeners here? All right. So uh, this one, uh, I did not write down the exact numbers and both of them came out to pretty much the exact same level. So let's just call it a tie from the listeners. Okay. (laughs) Well, I, I get that. It's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tight contest there. Yeah, and like ran it off, they're exactly the same. And so I I really do think they, uh, yeah, they're in the same place I was. All right, so Evolution Climate moves on to the next round. And now our final matchup in our societal historical theme is our number four seed, Emotep, versus our number five seed, Marinostrum Empires. Hmm. All right. So Emotep, while thematic in its implementation of so many things you're building little pyramids you're building little statues you're moving things across the water on the little boats in the end it's still a little abstract kind of what you're doing i mean it's not abstract what you're doing but it's you're a little removed from it you know you're up above it mario nostrum you have this big epic map you're you're going out you're doing all these things if you were going to ask me which game i enjoyed better because of you know, the theme, I'd probably go with Emotep, but if the one that implements it best, and both these games are really good, uh, I'm going to lean towards Mario Nostrum. Yeah, I think just for the single fact, as far as theme is concerned, Mario Nostrum Empires, the idea that even though you're battling against each other, you're still trading, and that the trading is really, in the end, the biggest part of this game, because you need those resources in order to reach those victory conditions, and that's very much what society and uh, civilization is built upon. So, yeah, you slap each other around once in a while, but it, when it comes down to it, you got to build that, you know, trading situation uh, because it's essential for society. So, I'm going to go at Marinostrum Empires. But what did our uh, listeners say? Are they moving bricks? Are they moving stones? Or are they uh, trading? They are moving some stone with Emotep. But I, I can see why. I mean, that's a good one, too. It's a very good game. Very good game. So Marinostrum Empires moves on to the next round. And now we're on to our Sweet 16. All right. So jumping back up to our fantasy bracket, we are talking about our first matchup. Our number one seed, Mansions of Madness, versus our number four seed, Conan. All right. We got some classic literature here. Uh, I'm going to stick with my... Um... Cthulhu infestation, and uh, I'm going to roll with Mansions of Madness. Well, you should get a doctor to take a look at that, but uh, when they do, they'll have to take a look at me too because I'm going to go with Mansions of Madness. 
I mean, the apps does so much for the game, despite the fact that the Conan miniatures are outstanding. How could it not be Mansions of Madness? And Mansions of Madness is moving on to our next round. All right, so our next matchup is our number seven seed, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, versus our number three seed, Clank. All right, I'm going to try once more to knock Harry Potter out of here. Um, (laughs) Third time's a charm, right? Uh, I'm going to go with Clank. Oh, man. Super, super hard here. I really don't know. Clank. Uh, All right, super hard decision here. Harry Potter does so great with the theme. Clank is clanking along as far as the dragon waking up. So I'm going to go with our number three seed, Clank. Yes, I did it. (laughs) We did it. Team effort. Uh, Forgive me, Harry. Forgive me, Harry. You're still a wizard. All right, so now we're on to our sci-fi bracket. And we're coming up with our first matchup, which is our number one seed, Terraforming Mars, versus our number four seed, Star Wars Rebellion. Hmm. All right, well, components be darned. Uh, (laughs) Terraforming Mars is incredibly thematic, scientifically, and just in terms of all the components and everything there, regardless of quality. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with terraforming Mars. It's my favorite. Okay. Well, I am one with the force and the force is one with me. So if you're looking for theme, uh, you gotta go with the original trilogy. I'm going to go with star Wars rebellion. All right. Let's see whose side the listeners are on with this one. Oh, another close one, but terraforming Mars claiming its spot in the hotness. Ah, got the votes. Hotness is on my side. <laughs> All right. So Terraforming Mars moves on to the next round. And now we have our next matchup, our number two seed, Scythe, versus our number three seed, Mechs versus Minions. All right. Well, I think we all knew what we were coming down to with the sci-fi bracket. It's going to be Terraforming Mars versus Scythe, of course. All right, so I'm going to concur on that. Scythe is doing some amazing things, although it's really nice to see mechs and minions in this contest. All right, so Scythe moves on to the next round. And now we're on to our economic bracket, where our number one seed, Great Western Trail, matches up against our number four seed, Manhattan Project, Energy Empire. All right, this is tricky. This is tough. Um, I think this is the point where I might... Uh, again, love Great Western Trail. I think it's a really good game. I uh, agree with you. Not quite as good as Mombasa. Um, a little bit fiddly. I'm going to... I'm gonna. This is where I jump off, I think, the trail. I'm going to go with Manhattan Project Energy Empire. All right. Well, Manhattan Project Energy Empire does have all the power because I'm going with it as well. And Manhattan Project Energy Empire moves on to the next round. Next up, we have our number seven seed, First Class, versus our number three seed, Venus. Second edition. Uh, I think all the things you said on the last round <laughs> reminded me just how thematic this game is, considering it's just kind of a light card-based Euro. So I'm going to go with first class, actually. I I was going to lean Vinos, but um, first class really it does it quite well compared to so many others in this field. It's true. So punch your first class ticket, Anthony, because it's going on to the next round. All right. So let's go to our societal historic bracket. We are looking at our number one seed, A Feast for Odin, versus our number five seed, Marinostrum Empires. Oof. Ah. <laughs> Come on, puzzle boy. Admit to your puzzleness. 
I know, but it's supposed to be about theme. It's so hard. Such a puzzle. I'll such buy a, you a puzzle. puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more than just a puzzle. It's a puzzle. <laughs> it's it's a worker placement puzzle. That those are like my favorite things. I know, I know. <laughs> it's the theme, worker placement puzzle, and does it great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I got to stick with Feast for Odin. I'm sorry. Oh, man. So I'm going to hold out for Mare Nostrum Empires, man. It's it's actually got a real map to it. You're not just putting puzzle pieces to fit in squares. Come on, people. What do our listeners say out there? You're not going to be happy, but they like puzzles too. Yes. Oh, man. Puzzle people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our Feast for Odin moves on to the next round. All right, so... For our next matchup, we have our number two seed, Captain Sonar, versus our number six seed, Evolution Climate. All right. So for the very reasons you um, were a little hesitant on Captain Sonar, I'm going to go with Evolution Climate. Captain Sonar does have it. some of the mechanics are designed to stress you out. They don't necessarily make sense in the context of submarine staff, whereas Evolution Climate, everything makes sense within the context because that's how it's designed. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. To actually get an educational game that is actually fun and thematic, but also mechanically sound, Evolution Climate, it's the right choice. And it moves on to the next round. All right, so here we are for our final four. Our first matchup is the Fantasy Bracket, where we take our number one seed, Mansions of Madness, versus our number three seed, Clank. Okay. Now, here's the thing. I like Mansions of Madness a lot. <laughs> but Says I, don't know if, I don't know if I want Cthulhu in the finals is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, i got to break it, man. i got to break the habit. Uh, this is a really tough one. I, Clank is, is a really good one. Thematically, it, it does have a lot of interesting things. Like you said, we need that expansion. Uh, Mansions of Madness does everything kind of spot on. It's perfect atmospheric. Everything. It really does feel like you're going into that. Oof. Um... Hmm. This is this is me having a tough time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like I have to stick with Mansions of Madness, even though I don't really want to. It is the more thematic game, and I do like them both pretty evenly, but I think that's I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that, I think. Yeah, I mean it does so many things well, and especially with the app integration, it's doing an outstanding job. The only reason why I'm going to push for Clank here is because of all the dungeon delvings that I ever played previously, they never took into fact the thematic element that as you go down in a suit of armor, you're going to wake up some pretty bad things and it's eventually going to come after you. And the more you delve, the more sound you make and the more bad that comes out. So I'm going to vote for Clank here. Yeah, I was super close there. I mean, it really, really does it quite well. The listeners, uh, they... Did vote overwhelmingly for Mansions of Madness out of this bracket. So being in this position, it is going to move on. All right. Well, that sounds great. Mansions of Madness moves on to our next round. All right. So for our sci-fi bracket, we're looking at Terraforming Vars, our number one seed, versus Scythe, our number two seed. I'm going to let you go first because I have to think on this. This is, <laughs> this is, this is the hardest one for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do theme very well, both of them. And I think it's really hard to say because Scythe's production is outstanding. 
especially the artwork where you're looking at this alternative kind of World War One, Eastern Europe kind of map. And all the races do play thematically differently, at least just enough to f- have a little bit of different feel to it. <sighs> Man, um, I really do enjoy Terraforming Mars. And I like the fact that the oxygen and temperature rays and you can only play certain cards at certain times. Scythe, as far as popularity, dropping or gaining based upon your actions. So if you go to war, there's going to be consequences here. I don't know. I don't know if there's a winner here. I th- I think they're both winners, and I, I hate to I hate to knock either one of these out. They really deserve to be in the final matchup against each other. This is probably going to come down to a tiebreaker, and I'm happy which either way it goes. But I'm going to go Scythe here. I just think the artwork just pushes the theme a little bit more, and the miniatures really do a great job. And I just think the card artwork on Terraforming Mars, the randomness where it's art and it's a picture and it's someone's dog, and it it just it's a letdown somewhere. It, it takes me out of the universe, and I don't want to be out of the universe. I love the Terraforming Mars universe. Yeah, that's the tough thing for me. I think if Terraforming Mars had, you know, like Asmodee quality artwork and production, it would be the most thematic game in this group, in, in any period across all of these, because it, it really is, like, the science is there. The, these are the, like, dropping comets on the planet and... Yep nuclear bombs and putting you know all these all these different things that you would do to terraform the planet and it's so well thought out and you look at these things and you see the combos and you're like yeah that would work <laughs> like True. i'm not a scientist but that would work and so I'm, I'm not a huge components guy it doesn't bother me that those things aren't there it doesn't really pull me out of the game scythe on the other hand it pulls me further into the game so it's it's i'm, I'm in the same place like it's it's super even like if these were the one two in the final it'd be just as hard but i wouldn't feel quite as bad because one would get the runner up but coming out of the same bracket that's rough but like i said terraforming mar i mean it just does it all so mechanically it just the mechanics are so thematic the cards are so thematic they're each so unique i'm, I'm going to go there with the caveat that it does have some issues, <laughs> visually well, speaking. I mean, even with Scythe, when you get those counter cards and you get to choose if you want to help the villagers and get a little popularity, you really want to hurt the villagers and lose popularity, or you want to just outright you know, take over the land and just bottom out. I mean, that's ve- very thematic, and it's very similar to like when can you place a microbe card because if the temperature is not right, it doesn't work. So – both do a great job there. I mean, it's it's hard to argue with either one of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think, like, which one I'd be happier with winning overall. And it's just, you know what? I'm going to swing back. And the reason why is because, like you said, Terraforming Mars, I think mechanically and content-wise, it is spot on. It is Mars. It is, like, everything about it. Like, the first time I played it, I was like, wow. I want my children to play this when they're old enough to understand it. You know, like, <laughs> this is really cool. Like, we talked about evolution and obviously it's not real science. It's like, you know, what could we do? How would it work? Sure. Um, but I just love that. And I love space and I love everything about it. But Scythe pulls you in even further because of the elements that Terraforming Mars doesn't have. So while one, one is a fantasy world and one is just like near future sci-fi. But I, you know what, I'm going to give, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on Scythe just because it is a complete package, whereas Terraforming Mars isn't quite. Even though I wish it was. Yeah, same here. All right, so Scythe moves on to the next round. 
Next, we have our economic bracket where we have our number four seed Manhattan Project Energy Empire versus our number seven seed First Class. Okay, I did not expect these two to come out of this this group. So that's sure. interesting. We got two number one or well one and a two seed now at a four and a seven here. You know what? Just the more I think about first class, and I hadn't actually played this game in a little while, but the more I think about it, I'm like, man, this game just really knocks it out of the park with all the different cool things it does. So it manages to add a little bit more theme too, like whereas Russian Railways didn't really have it so as much. So I'm gonna go with first class. Yeah, I'm gonna join you on that train too because it really looks at the end that you've built up this pretty profound train and the different modules really keeps the gameplay fresh all the components all of the artwork really kind of fits very very well so first class moves on to the next round and finally we have our societal slash historical theme and we have our number one seed a feast for odin versus our number six seed evolution climate all right so i dropped my other science game uh, because of poor components and some dodgy uh, visual representations, so I'm gonna go ahead and pick one up here because we need one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with evolution, even though it hurts. It hurts deep down. <laughs> You're literally putting a puzzle together. It's not a theme. It's not a theme. There are theme. It's uh, there's theme in it. Fine. All right. I'm gonna go um, with evolution climate because. It's a theme that actually has good gameplay <laughs> instead of Feast for Odin, which has good gameplay, but a almost non-existent theme unless Odin was into puzzles. Maybe he was. You don't yeah, know. I don't know. It's true. Well, we'll see. The next Thor movie is coming out. So maybe it'll pop up there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right. So we have our final four here. All right. So let's talk about the final four. So we have fantasy bracket being represented by mansions of madness come let's hear the insanity brother (laughs) i'm insane all right versus our sci-fi bracket that's being represented by scythe let's hear your steampunk going i don't know what the sound that makes it's like asking somebody what sound a penguin makes you're like uh chirp i don't know (laughs) If we just get a couple more Patreon backers, we could afford the scene pipe sounds. <laughs> but at this point, we can't afford Come on, the- guys. Get us a Foley board. Let's do it. <laughs> it would be a lot more entertaining. But I don't know. You making the sound effects might be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Anthony, what are we thinking here? All right. I'm 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 actually happy because now I can get off the madness train. <laughs> Listen, guys, I like Mansions of Madness. I like Arkham Horror, the car game. I have both of them and all the stuff that's come out for them thus far. So that's not nothing against Cthulhu. I got them this far, but I don't want it to be the most thematic game of last year. <laughs> it's it's a rehash theme to some degree. It's like it really worked. You know, they do it well. But um, in this case, Scythe is just, yeah, for all it beat out Terraforming Mars. So it's definitely going to beat out Mansions of Madness for me. Okay. Well... I, look, I'm a big fan of Mansions of Madness. I love the fact that this new edition really does streamline so many things. The app adding so much atmosphere into, you know, add to the replayability and just being able to get to that ca- that game to the table is such a tremendous accomplishment. But in any other year, that game takes away the win without a problem. But Scythe, $1.8 million on Kickstarter, Stegmire components, outstanding evocative artwork, that really just 
as Anthony says, pulls you into the game, pulls you into that world where it's not just soldiers and these massive armies marching across these farmlands, but it's the people. And the people are determining the victor here in this world. And they do play large parts in this game. And it's really a forgotten theme that's really played out here in outstanding artwork and outstanding gameplay. So I'm going to vote for Scythe too. And Scythe is moving on to the final round. So for our economic versus societal slash historical bracket, we have first class versus evolution climate. All right. So everybody out there listening right now who did the contest is like banging on their iPhone because <laughs> this side of the bracket just got all broken up. Well, we had our these... one. We had our one versus two up there. So, you know, it happens. Yeah, no, it's they're like, I picked this one. Like, oh, the seven seed. You didn't expect the seven seed to come out. No one expects um, the seven seed. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this one's tough because we got first class, which, again, as we've discussed, surprisingly thematic for a helmet only train game. And then evolution climate and evolution in general is, you know, a game that does it so well. I'm, I'm actually going to go towards first class, though, just because it's not a new, I mean, while it, it's a train game, so it is a new iteration of other things, but it is a new game structurally in, in every sense. And using the cards to represent the train, then like you said, the conductor moving back, you know, through the train is just, it's very clever. The combination of those trains that you're building with the route that you're going along and the passengers you pick up uh, it, it covers every aspect of riding the Orient Express. And plus, murder mystery in a Euro. I know. Come on, guys. Social <laughs> deduction in a Euro. Who does that? This guy does. So <laughs> I'm going to reward him for, with that with my vote for first class. Like you said, our number seven seed first class versus our number six seed evolution climate. Our Cinderella stories in this bracket. Uh, no one expected them to get this far, and here they are doing so very well and so well-deserved and beating out so many outstanding games. Anthony, you said it all. Um, first Class does it all, and I don't know how they got it in, into a small box. And it keeps coming out to the table, whereas Evolution Climate does so many great things, but it hasn't seen much table play. So I'm going to say First Class. Uh, moves on to the final round. Who would have thought it? Two years in a row with a spoiler. <laughs> the freshman first class coming out of nowhere for our final battle. <laughs> oh, man. And and if, if nothing else, what a tremendous season for first class going up against Scythe. So we have our number two seed coming way back from our sci-fi bracket to face off against the unexpected 17 for economic bracket first class anthony what do you have to say about all of this <sighs> okay well i'm happy first class got this far i'm happy we talked about it because now i'm going to take it off the shelf and make sure it goes with me to game night next week uh hasn't gotten as much play for me as, as it should have and that's just because i've neglected the poor thing Aww. um <laughs> such a good game but scythe yeah, I mean, I think we all knew all along. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to win necessarily, but for me, I'm going to vote for Scythe. And I think I knew all along at least that one of the two games at the top of the sci-fi bracket was going to come out of this as my top pick, just because those two, Terraforming Mars and Scythe, were so thematic, so good, just so spectacular last year. Scythe is the one that's here, and that's the one I'm going to pick because, you know, we've said it all, you've said it all, 
I won't, I won't rehash it all, but this is a, this game just does everything so well. Once again, you know, first class in this final round is really a great accomplishment. And just like, like we talked about Mansions of Madness, in any other year, this game would sneak up and take the win. Man, it's, it's hard to say because it's so smart and simple where Scythe is so big and dramatic that they're almost coming from radically different areas to kind of, I'm going to have to say, pause for dramatic effect, Scythe. Scythe yes. is going to pull it out for <laughs> our Board Gamer Madness 2017. These are the best games from 2016 and all well-deservingly so. <laughs> making it through all of these competitions. Uh, bravo to all of the designers here. What a great job. And thank you so much for all of your work for these outstanding releases. We've had so much joy playing these games, getting them to the table. And um, for Jamie Stegmeier and Stonemeyer Games, wow. Okay, so it's been a fun, fun bracket season for everybody here. So with that said, that's everything for this outstanding, tremendous, dramatic, epic episode. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll hope that we'll always be the number one seed in your board gaming bracket.